Hello, and welcome to another Cane and Rinse interview special. My name is Jacob Geller. I've written many a blog for a website in the past. I've often focused on how the design of our favorite game worlds influences how we relate and interact with them. I was delighted, therefore, to run across Heterotopius, an online zine dedicated to the exploration and study of video game spaces, especially with an eye towards their virtual architecture. Heterotopius's newest book is a, or as a newest project, is a book. It's entitled The Continuous City, and the book is a photographic journey through the most exciting, diverse, and strange urban spaces of our time, those of video games. It is therefore my absolute pleasure to welcome writer, game designer, journalist, photographer, and founder of Heterotopius, Gareth Damian Martin. Gareth, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's let's start with, I think, one of the major hooks of the book, which is your method of capturing these games, which is rather uh, unorthodox. Do you want to kind of describe how you're uh, getting this game photography? Sure. So, yeah, the the unorthodox uh, aspect of it is that it is actually 35 millimeter analog photography of games, um, which is a little confusing the first time people hear it because, um, yeah, it's difficult to understand how you can actually Mm -hmm. do that. Um, but it's kind of a relatively simple process, but one I've been developing for, um, I guess, uh, about a year and a half now since I first started doing it for Heterotopias as a kind of uh, strange idea that suddenly became something interesting, which is um, I project the games using a, a DLP projector. Um, the reason I, I say that is because uh, DLP projectors kind of behave slightly differently than LED projectors and um, and screens, and they don't produce uh, individual color pixels so you get a kind of overall softer image a kind of real mm-hmm. image where the colors are mixed and then i then photograph the projected image using a 35 millimeter camera in a studio environment um, and i use black and white um, film usually with a, a really high iso to um, get a nice high level of grain on the image and then those Films are then developed in a completely chemical process uh, by a, a really good lab here in um, in England, and um, the results, the resulting negatives, are then scanned into a computer, and that's where we get those images. So they're digital screenshots, but uh, rephotographed through an analog camera. And I think the first time you did this, at least the first time in the magazine, was with Kane and Lynch too. And the idea behind that was, correct me if I'm wrong, but that a lot of that game is through an in-game lens. And so this was like a natural extension of like, you know, taking it one step farther. Let's get that real kind of gritty distortions that come from an actual camera. Is that right? Yeah, but it was also kind of um, an extreme distortion of the idea because um, Kane and Lynch 2, really interestingly, is the art direction frames it as if it's being filmed through a cell phone camera or a cheap digital Mm -hmm. camera. So actually it's full of digital artifacts. Um, And what I thought would be interesting would be kind of layering analog artifacts on top of digital artifacts so that you got this kind of strange intersection um, of... I guess, like signifiers of reality in a way that, you know, mm-hmm. in, a, in a sense, kind of artifacts, whether they're film grain or they're kind of digital noise, are things that tell us something is real. And that's what Kane and Lynch 2 is trying to engage with, is the sense that, um, you know, kind of found footage is more real than real or more real right. than photo real. Um, and so I kind of thought it would be interesting to to overlay a layer of uh, true, like supposedly real analog noise rather than faking the analog noise using mm-hmm. a camera um, just to see what images were produced. 
And uh, then the the images that were produced, I was kind of really happy with them and very excited when I showed them to people because a lot of people were kind of had no idea what the images were. They thought they were kind of images of real cities or they, but they knew they kind of looked wrong and they, you know, they kind of ended up in this strange mid space that, that seemed quite, quite exciting. So from there, I kind of looked to develop the, uh, the technique a bit more. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely fascinating. And I think it's interesting where Caden Lynch is a, you know, a takes place in a real city, but then you did it with Metroid prime, which is, you know, entirely removed. And yet it still has this incredible realism where it's like, yeah, I guess that does look like a space pirate station. You know, it's, It looks like real life. Yeah, it's weird. The, uh, the Metro prime ones, because obviously that game is, is relatively crude by today's standards, uh, although it, it does have the benefit of having focused on uh, geometry over um, bump maps. It's of an era when kind of you have flat texturing on quite a large level, a high level of geometry, rather than something like perhaps the um, Doom reboot that was around a little bit later, where you'd have a load of very flat geometry with kind of bump map effects on them. So, it, mm-hmm. so it lends itself well to uh, this kind of photography because it is very architectural. But yeah, I was I was kind of surprised by how effective that was actually and and that was a slightly different process in a way that i uh, i was kind of thinking more about memory there and um about my own memories of that space because metro prime is is probably the most influential game on on both my game design and my work as a games critic and uh you know you see all the time these really pin sharp photographs that are taken from emulators of games like metro prime and they kind of they never seem to represent the experience of those spaces. So um, while the kind of black and white photography doesn't necessarily represent the experience, it suggests that there's something more than just the digital space, that there's mm-hmm. our relationship with it. And that's the kind of um, in, intangible thing that I wanted to start trying to bring to the surface, I guess. Yeah, that's actually, I think that's that's kind of a theme in your work because uh, I'm a huge fan of the piece you wrote on the Shadow of the Colossus reboot and and kind of the, the thrust of that article was also, you know, if, if we keep making it sharper, where does our imagination exist anymore? You know, how can we how can we exist in these spaces that are just so full of everything? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, the one of the big effects that this photography does is um is it is really the reason and the reason why I use high ISO, ISO film is the grain um is a very different texture to the texture that a screen provides. And grain actually suggests detail that isn't there. And I think that's what really happens in those Metroid photographs is that there is lots of detail that isn't there. And actually that game has quite blurry kind of expressionistic textures that also uh, perform that process of suggesting architectural detail that's unclear, but supposedly kind of there. And the grain actually emphasizes that. And we kind of, you know, read those tiny gaps between bits of uh, photo grain as space and as depth and as color and mm-hmm. as light because we we are accustomed to that you know it's because we've we've all seen kind of grainy photography we've all seen uh, photography and and the logic of using grain as a way of representing images is something that's imprinted in our brains so when we look at it we see detail that that doesn't exist right absolutely um so in terms of now we know the process of it but in terms of like setting up the shots themselves 
uh, a lot of games allow you to take kind of impossible shots. You know, you can you can position a camera in a wall or from a thousand feet up or, you know, whatever you'd like. Do you have any rules or techniques that you kind of adhere to while taking these photographs? Yeah, I guess I'm kind of a weird, weirdly kind of almost like a game photography Luddite in the sense that I prefer not to use any kind of camera hacks or no clips um, unless I can uh, can't avoid avoid it at all. So uh, I'm pretty sure all of the images I've shown um, from the uh, Continuous City so far have actually all been done within the game using uh, in-game options for turning the HUD off or uh, my personal favorite, which is uh, glitching the camera just through uh, manipulating it in kind of closed situations so it locks in strange mm-hmm. positions and allows me angles. And I like working within those limitations um, because I I guess, yeah, I, I find that kind of um, the ability to fly the camera around and um, and kind of take any angle and put it inside walls and things is, is definitely interesting, but um, I find it's less conducive to the kind of photography that I want, which I guess takes inspiration from um, street photographers like Daido Moriyama, who, um, who very much works within limitation, the limitation of uh, being a person in a space and with a limited amount of time and having to take a shot quickly in a moment that uh, some things happen to intersect. So I think that energy is, is important to maintain in a way. Right. You're you're less uh, omnipotent and more of a tourist in these spaces. You know, you're not God. You can't see everything. It's just kind of from from the street level. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a that's a part of photography, actually, for me, Um, just as I I really love to use analog cameras in real life as well. Um, And I love to use uh, stick to a 50 millimeter fixed lens, actually. And uh, I have a camera that was actually my granddad's. And that's one of the ones I use. Uh, to shoot these shots, and that's a camera I've been using since uh, I was uh, 12 or 13 years old that my dad gave to me, and that has a fixed uh, 50mm lens, and it has um, manual um, exposure, uh, a very simple light meter, and I love using that camera because it it just... uh, it forces you to make choices uh, based on its limitations. So yeah, I I do like to preserve that uh, moving Mm -hmm. into games. Um, now, video game photography has been around for a while. I remember running across like Dead End Thrills years ago and just being amazed at, at the kind of work there. But recently, I think because of the power of the systems and the you know work put into these worlds, lots of games include a photo mode where you can you can pause it and zoom around and change the depth of field. And uh, you know, in a way, it's kind of mainstreaming this art of video game photography. Do you do you have feelings about that? Do you think that it's influencing game design in positive or negative ways? Yeah, I think there's. I think it's really interesting and uh, something I love. I love having photo modes um, available to me. Um, but I do think that there's. I mean, there's an obvious intention behind the game makers to get uh, to kind of crowdsource advertising in a sense, you know. <laughs> right. And, and that's kind of supported by um, a lot of game photography, which focuses really on just reproducing beautiful images that are that are already kind of designed to be in the game. Um, you know, these kind of vistas that have been kind of uh, very much set up uh, as a moment for the player to experience. Mm-hmm. That then being re-photographed many, many times by players and reposted. Um, I, 
I have to admit, I'm a little bit cynical about that process. I think it's really cool, but I think it's obvious that the, um, the development time and money that that costs to make a, a photo mode is uh, needs to be accounted for, I think. And I guess that's how they account, it, account for it in some senses. Um, mm-hmm. But then I think there's this second element of photo modes that I find really interesting, which relates to the kind of bloat of AAA games um, and the fact that you have all these assets in AAA games that are almost over for their own use that, that kind of never really received the attention um, that they've been designed to sustain. Um, and photo modes kind of allow people to hollow out these weird little spaces in games and focus on the kind of strange corners or details that uh, would otherwise, I think, be lost. And uh, I think kind of looking at also Assassin's Creed Origins, having a kind of discovery tourist mode, um, where you can kind of wander around and get tours of the area and suggests that maybe kind of AAA games that have big expensive worlds might also um, have a conflict inside themselves about what those worlds should be used for. And so I, I kind of really support this idea that um, the games have kind of, yeah, like photo modes, tourist modes, like no enemy modes, uh, you know, free flying modes, like all kinds of things that allow really us to inhabit these spaces in lots of different ways, rather than just um, through a kind of uh, compulsive system, you know, that's designed to kind of keep us playing and keep us ticking off objectives and things like that. I think it's a, a positive step to have more ways of interacting with these worlds. Right. Assassin's Creed is a great example because, I mean, for, you know, for years since the very original, it's just been exhaustive work researching, you know, these historical places and their architecture and their, you know, styles of dress and everything. And then, you know, I run through it like an idiot and take, you know, no time to look at anything at all. And so, yeah, this kind of instead of putting you know, pages of text to read about the historical influences and stuff, letting players just discover it on their own by zooming a camera around seems like a really kind of interesting and tantalizing option. Yeah, definitely. And actually, Assassin's Creed Origins, the after I managed to get out of the tutorial section, uh, that game just became an eagle flight simulator for me. I actually, <laughs> yeah. I just turned off the HUD, uh, launched the eagle, and I was just curious, thinking, I wonder how far they'll let me go. And the thing is, you can go as far as you want. You can cover the whole map. And I spent mm-hmm. about five hours uh, just flying around as the eagle in the end. And I've never gone back. That game now to me is is that. Um, and I haven't spent other time with it. Because also with the photo mode, you can kind of fly the eagle to anywhere you want, switch to photo mode, and then drop down to street level. So it's, it's mm-hmm. this kind of incredible um, way of experiencing the world. And yeah, I love that. I, I thought the fact that they had put no limitations on the eagle mode was such a brilliant thing to do because it just lets the player off the leash and, and lets them kind of just play the game as some kind of bizarre historical nature simulator. Mm-hmm. Um, so jumping off from uh, Assassin's Creed Origins is actually a good a good starting point because one of my questions for kind of your... Um, like the the different cities in the book is how do you define a city in a game? You know, is... Does origins historical Egypt count? Would you know what? Where's the line? What's what's a city? What's a town? What's a village? You know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think this is like a really core question at the heart of the book. Actually, um, is because of course uh, games don't. You know, if we're going to use the definitions that we use for cities, um, games don't contain cities because they don't contain 
um, you know, urban locations that have a certain number of occupants and that are of a certain size. They're actually, you know, it's all smoke and mirrors. They're, they're just corridors. Um, so it's really talking about images and representations of cities um, that the, the, the book really engages with cities. So I guess when I'm thinking about um, cities and games to feature in the book, I'm thinking about games which represent cities as opposed to thinking about uh, necessarily like total cities where you have this kind of GTA style simulation of every element of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm kind of also thinking about games like the cyberpunk game made by the, well, I forget it now. Oh, uh, Observer? Observer. Is that it? There you go. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so that's one of the cities uh, which I feature in the game, which is, um, uh, I believe, a city in Poland, although I don't remember which Polish city. Uh, I don't know if it's Warsaw. But um, they obviously, all you get to experience of that is an apartment block and the uh, street outside the apartment block and the kind of city in the background. Um, but for me, that's kind of enough. And because the way I'm thinking about cities is I, I guess I'm thinking about how cities are uh, historically... Um, within art and literature, they're really stand-ins for other things. You know, cities mm-hmm. are really ideas um, and their kind of characters and their ideologies. They're, they often represent um, the sense of a wider world and therefore they represent also kind of wider values or a context for which, uh, which might frame the action. So, for example, in Dishonored, the city of Dunwall is sure a, a city which is quite well realized but it also represents the the themes of the game which are themes of inequality um a specific critical focus on ideas of empire that come from victorian england um and also uh, a focus on kind of plague and disease as um a thing that affects urban space and so all of these things are really framed beautifully um by the city as a as a, a kind of object or an idea um even though the game only takes place within these kind of limited corridors of it yeah it's interesting the the range of cities that you have in the book because things like dunwall are you know of course of course you would include dishonored in a book about video game cities but i also think it's interesting that you have like the maps from overwatch you know because they exist in cities and i realized that when i saw that it was like oh i've never thought about that except as a lane to kill people down you know, like that's yeah. that's all that exists in my head. But when you stop and look at it, they have quite beautiful architecture and really thoughtful design. Yeah. And also the same thematic relation. I think, you know, um, the the kind of London of Overwatch, for example, uh, offsets a kind of Victorian London against a kind of glittering backdrop of future skyscraper London, um, which I really like because it kind of simultaneously tries to imagine multiple uh, pasts and futures for London. And London mm-hmm. remains a city like that, you know, a city where, um, uh, having lived in it myself for 10 years, um, where, you know, kind of glossy skyscrapers that are used as stand-ins for Shanghai in James Bond films stand next to uh, terraced houses that are used as stand-ins for uh, Victorian England in period films. Mm. So these things really do butt up against each other in interesting ways. So I quite like the way that Overwatch refuses to kind of homogenize uh, a lot of its cities in its maps. It actually has, uh, I think, some really interesting representations of cities within it. Do you think about how the the player experiences them when you're you know setting up these photographs or kind of deciding if you're including them because you know in in dishonored 
you're crawling through these buildings and you're really discovering you know every nook and cranny of them and in overwatch you know i'm I'm skating on the walls as lucio like uh do you do you kind of does that matter when determining a good video game city or can you kind of appreciate their design absent of player interaction yeah i think those those kind of signatures are really present in game cities you know whether it's that kind of classic of like waist high walls uh signifying cover areas or whether it's kind of dishonored like ridiculously um fat pipes that kind of Mm -hmm. allow you to climb around on the side of a building where otherwise you wouldn't necessarily have any footing um but i guess in a way what i like to do is is present those spaces not neutrally but from a kind of um reasonably kind of flat or maybe like a a reframing i like to kind of reframe those spaces because i think that's when those aspects become visible because i think when you show those uh, cities from the perspective that the players used to seeing them from then they accept those kind of little conceits more easily while if you find a way to kind of reframe it or show it from a slightly different angle or um, just find something unusual, uh, an unusual contrast maybe in the architecture or a, a strange relationship of spaces that um, doesn't kind of look natural or obvious, then somehow that allows you to kind of uh, help people to look at the cities again in a new way uh, and see um, kind of their their own conceits or like their, their constructedness um, at the mm-hmm. same time. Uh, and that's especially effective, I think, when you're when I'm using this process of analog photography to make them look more real, I kind of want to focus on things that have a slight quality of unreality because my aim is not to present an image which is uh, can pass for real life, pass for a real analog photograph. I want something that kind of sits in between, that has a little bit of the, the false flatness of a video game space um, and a little bit of the reality and the, the texture of a real space. So that's what I'm kind of searching for, I guess. Um, on that that angle of framing, are all the games that you're using in the book uh, 3D? Yeah, I was thinking the other day about um, how Transistor has one of my favorite kind of depictions of a city in recent memory, but it's mostly, you know, painted 2D backdrops and the game is from an isometric angle. Do you have 2D or kind of 2.5D games featured in the book? Uh, I don't think I, I definitely don't haven't taken any so far and I don't think I have any on my list because I think that um, photography is is a kind of art form based on perspective. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the the need also for this photography to be to reframe those spaces is important to me. So um, because I also don't want to just replicate the the obvious designed, um images that we see as a player you right. know, the vistas that we're led between especially like something in dishonored there's a real danger that you just replicate the concept art you know the at the end of the day the the, the mm-hmm. photograph comes out and actually you could sit it alongside an image that was intended uh, because games are often planned out as a series of 2d images um and then made 3d so the, so it is you know there are 2d images kind of locked into games um and I think, yeah, with something isometric, I mean, I love Transistor. Uh, I love that city. It's one of my my favorite um, cities. And I, I've actually, uh, I teach at the um, Bartlett School of Architecture um, at UCL in London. Um, and I teach about urbanism and uh, games. And Transistor is one of the games I, I talk a bit about because it has a kind of really radical idea about how uh, technology and cities might interact. So I, I love that mm-hmm. city. But, but yeah, it's really... In a way, that city is one that only really exists in your mind because 
uh, you have to add it together yourself. You know, you have to right. glue all of the little isometric bits um, mm-hmm. and you have to resolve that with the kind of flat 2D backdrops. And so in a way that city only really exists in your mind. It, it can't really be photographed. Mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting idea of, you know, only wanting to show things that weren't necessarily meant to be seen or at least not drawn attention to. Um, you know, if you think about how many times, you know, Nathan Drake says, wow, look at that in an Uncharted game. And then avoiding all of those to, you know, look at a unique corner of a building that you would have never noticed before. Uh, it's an interesting exploration and kind of what did they put work into and want me to look about or look at? And what did they, you know, not even consider a player would spend five minutes on? Yeah, definitely. I think that there's so much of that to games, but then also the volume of work in games means that somebody knows uh, almost every corner, um, you know, that exists. Maybe not in in GTA or something like this that that kind of has a balance. But yeah, and it's something like Dishonored. There is no accidental uh, element to it. Um, but I think that um, you know, it's that thing about photography that um, looking at something from a. I think while the the architecture itself is not accidental. The angle from which it's seen can transform it significantly. Um, and so I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested in those angles um, and getting those those kind of interesting angles. And I guess one of the things I also do is um, try usually to manipulate uh, or crop into the, uh, the image a little bit because one thing that games happen to do is they tend to go for very wide angle style, um, mm-hmm. you know, frame of views um, to give you like a nice... Um, visible area but that kind of um often in a way slightly ruins um flat images because you end up with very few straight lines everything's slightly curved um and you get this kind of curved horizon effect and so it's not very good for photographing architecture so often if there is a kind of zoom facility in the game i tend to use those as well to try and flatten off the image so there's subtle things like that that are really um very much about photographic language but that people won't necessarily notice when they look at my images, but that are really important for making uh, something look slightly different and um, just kind of cutting into it and, and uh, getting those angles to be slightly different. It's uh, it, it can be quite surprising what can come out of a, of an area that seems quite limited. You can, you can pull quite a lot of images out of one small area that seems like it doesn't have um, many views apart from the ones that the designer intended, but there's mm-hmm. always stuff hiding there. There's always associations that you can make. Um, and are you moving your physical camera when you do this, or does that remain fixed and you just kind of set up the camera in the game for the shot? Yeah, so my camera generally remains, uh, the physical camera remains fixed, uh, lined up. So I have a kind of studio setup where uh, the camera's on a tripod all lined up with the projector so that um, it's as close to, you know, it's, it's kind of like creating a giant retina, right? Like the, the screen mm-hmm. is, it receives the light and then the light bounces off the screen straight into the camera. Uh, you know, if I could, I would project the game directly th- into the lens of the camera. That would be kind of what I would want, but uh, I haven't figured out a way that that will work yet. But I'm sure it could be done, but might be a bit trickier. But yeah, so it's just kind of bouncing off coming straight in to a fixed camera. Um, but yeah, it's usually about how I then glitch or manipulate the the game camera to get those kind of uh, views. And yeah, some games are really tricky. The The Witcher is particularly tricky. Um you know, some some developers like to make sure that the main character is never out of shot 
Um, some developers don't mm-hmm. care. Some sometimes it's really easy. All you have to do is stand against the wall and turn the camera around. But um, yeah, The Witcher, you kind of you end. Up, I mean, you end up with quite funny situations because in The Witcher, you, you have to. Uh, the way I found to do it is uh, I have to remove all of the armor and swords um, and then I have to use the um, shield spell that makes uh, Geralt crouch because otherwise he doesn't crouch in the game. You can't get him to manually crouch, which is another trick that you generally use. Um, but when you let go of this shield, it kind of explodes um, and sets off everything in the area around. So whenever I'm taking pictures in The Witcher, when I finish taking the picture, I let go of the shield and, and everybody around me just starts screaming and running away. Right, <laughs> so, you've got a, a naked, shielded Geralt standing in the middle of the street. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, yeah, the, even though the images look really pristine, kind of carefully composed, there's a kind of slightly surreal set of circumstances behind them. That's so funny. Uh, do you Do you keep like npcs in the shot when you're doing it are you are you trying to capture you know a a lived in seeming place or do you really just focus on kind of the architecture and design of the worlds i think npcs yeah they they get in there um uh in some cases they're kind of accidentally getting there or they're kind of useful compositional aids i think a lot of the time and I kind of leave it open to what happens um they're generally not the subject there's a there's a few shots in uh, Mirror's Edge Catalyst, a couple of photographs of that that um, I featured NPCs more solidly. That's because they tend to stand around um, in quite dramatic mm-hmm. poses, so they're quite they're quite useful. Um, and also, there's some kind of weird. If you sneak into kind of weird uh, hidden areas of Mirror's Edge Catalyst, there are these NPCs that you're only supposed to see from really far away, um, and so they're just kind of flat sprites walking, black sprites oh, walking around. So I quite like getting those into the shot as well because um, they add to that kind of unreal sense. Because when you photograph them, they look kind of like silhouettes of people, but then when you look closer, you kind of see that they're not right, or the perspective's not right, or the shadow's not right. So they really they help to add that kind of strangeness to the image. So yeah, I, I kind of if they can if they bring that definitely. And there's a shot from Kane and Lynch that I really like. Um, that I took of a, a NPC from that game silhouetted um, against a garage door. And uh, because this, the NPC is looking directly at you, but they're completely black, um, they're just a silhouette, uh, there's something kind of weird. You kind of read a person into that space. You know, it's kind of, again, like the grain. It's a gap that you can um, imprint your own impressions onto when you look at the image. And even though they're obviously a 3D model, they kind of... A strangely uh, human and you feel like they're looking at you when you look at that image mm-hmm. um so you know talking about games like mirror's edge catalyst when they came out they were kind of slandered for having you know perhaps playability wise the city you know it wasn't laid out in a way that was fun to run around or it didn't you know it didn't feel alive in the way that you know game critics wanted does can you think of kind of without without slandering a studio or a designer like an example of a game city that for you just hasn't hit the mark that you know has has tried to do things and just uh, doesn't doesn't quite feel like anywhere hmm that's a tricky one really um i guess i kind of pick and choose mine based on quality i i i don't know i mean I think Mirror's Edge Catalyst is an interesting one because I've written a lot about that game and I think it does, it exists in a really weird tension um, because it isn't really 
successful as a city. It's totally ridiculous. Um, and I kind of love it for that. It's it's almost, at some points, it devolves into this slightly abstract primitive setup where you just have these kind of cubes um, of glass. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have like 20 just bar stools. Uh, and then you'll have like, like it, it, the moment you start looking at it, you're like, this doesn't make any sense at all. This is like totally dysfunctional. Um, and I kind of love that about it because it, it, it gets to the edge of uh, gaminess, you know, it almost some of the squares just look like primitive, uh, primitive uh, game objects, you know, just kind of a standard cube, just like sat right there in the middle of a room, mm-hmm. um, or like a little glass box with like two NPCs that are exactly the same in it. So I guess um, I don't really see it like that, because quite often I spot those strange things. And I'm kind of interested in, uh, in what they say to us. I I can't think of cities. I mean, I think there's always that kind of Assassin's Creed is always a, is always one that's um, I think has had attention for me because I think the architecture in those games is amazing, but the um, the kind of people, especially in the, some of the older games are totally absurd. Um, and often their responses to kind of uh, quite often you kind of, you know, someone will fall off a building and land in the middle of the street and everybody will simultaneously scream in exactly the same way. And then three seconds later, they're all walking over the corpse. It's this right. kind of like total, uh, total collapse of believability to those cities. So um, those are kind of funny sometimes. But uh, yeah, I, I can't think of one architecturally that, that really fails. I'm, I'm sure they exist. But uh, yeah, I guess I, I do kind of look out for slightly strange things in, in cities. So sometimes when there's a bit of a bit of a failure or a bit of an odd space that doesn't quite work. I'm kind of attracted to that. Mm-hmm. Um, now you talked about Metroid Prime being a, um, a major inspiration for just your work and design sensibilities. Are there, do you have, you know, older games in this book? What's, what do you think is kind of like, do you have Nintendo 64 stuff? Do you have anything from the GameCube? You know, when, when did this sort of digital tourism really start being possible? Yeah, I mean, I I think it starts, you know, when games start. I mean, um, I remember playing uh, the James Bond game on the Game Boy, um, and that has a Marrakesh level. And I remember kind of just wandering around that on purpose as a kind of tourism, just kind of looking around. And it's totally, you know, it's crude and, uh, you know, it's like three-bit graphics. And, yeah, it's it's nothing. But um, the feeling of, of kind of exploring a city that's far from... Uh, far from home is something that yeah like to me was very apparent then and I've spoken to um, I did a talk actually uh, at the VNA Museum in London with uh, Darren Anderson um, who most of you know is Oniropolis the writer of um, Invisible Cities Mm. um, or Imaginary Cities I should say Um, uh, I did a talk where we talked about the backgrounds to Street Fighter 2 and how those were suggestions of places that um that kind of invited this kind of digital tourism because you could kind of see in the background san francisco or tokyo and you kind of wanted to pass through that barrier into those cities so i think you can yeah i think like digital tourism goes all the way back so for me i guess i'm stuck to to 3d worlds in terms of this approach although i may do work in future that that features 2d worlds i certainly like to um but this particular book is focused on 3d worlds so uh, i'm trying to get old stuff in there and definitely 
Um, I want to get some GameCube era stuff in there, um, PlayStation era stuff, some older GTAs, I think are really important. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of key cities and, and stranger ones. I've got, I've got a long list and um, also I'm kind of slightly, I'm interested in MMO cities because they also are slightly more like real cities in the sense right, that they're, they're actually spaces. lived in. Yeah, exactly. So I think I, I want to feature a few more of those in there as well. I think World of Warcraft will definitely make an appearance and um, and a few others probably as well. So I've got a long list of of um, ones I want to do, which is, is I think, about 150 games long. Um, mm-hmm. Probably I want to end up doing all 150 of those. I've, I've done about 40 so far. So probably expect there to be around 100 different games in the in the book in the end if i get my way um now do you think about uh the difference between um kind of real virtual cities and created ones you know we've got we've talked a lot about uh gta which like gta 5 has los santos which is very much an approximation of la but is not actually supposed to be you know copying it whereas rockstar have also made la noir which is essentially a perfect reproduction of LP LA just in the 1940s. D- do you, do you feature real quote unquote cities in the book? Do you find them uh, less interesting because they're not as designed? No, I mean, I think they're, uh, I feature both and I think they're, they're the same in a way. I mean, I, so the, the name, the continuous city uh, comes from uh, the Italo Calvino book, um, invisible cities um, and in that book he's kind of um, I don't know maybe this is a spoiler but in a way uh, all of the imaginary cities that are in that book are descriptions of Venice or at least that's one way of seeing the book that's one way that's presented um, and so they all are descriptions of a real city but some of them are totally absurd impossible cities and I kind of feel the same about all imaginary cities that they I think they all have relationships to real cities, even if those things aren't explicit. So, um, and equally, you know, something like, yeah, I mean, you can easily see how like GTA 5's Los Santos is a is an argument about Los Angeles. You know, it's a discussion of Los Angeles. But I would also say that the LA Noir, because it's engaging with Noir and it's kind of mapping um, fictional Noir tropes onto a real city, uh, there's something really interesting happening there as well to me that that kind of suggests um, a uh, overlapping of fiction and reality. You know that because LA Noir is also full of references to classic noir, like the Naked City, and they kind of replicate shots and situations and characters from from loads of classic noir films. Um, so yeah, I think there's that that weird intersection between uh, cities and the fictional versions of them as seen. Uh, in films and uh, as written about in literature. And I certainly, LA is a great example. I know when I first went to LA for E3, um, yeah, I kind of found it strangely familiar, but also strangely mm-hmm. unknown. You know, there were so many aspects of it that I hadn't seen depicted in the films, but things like the road markings and the street signs were so weirdly familiar to me um, that I straight away just felt like I was comfortable on the street. So I think, yeah, always fictional cities are, are always in communion with real cities, no matter how fictional they are. Um, now, obviously, a lot of your work is inspired by real-life architecture, writing, etc. Did you, is there kind of a direction that you came into this from? Were you 
an architecture student who then, you know, started being fascinated by the spaces and games? Or were you a gamer who wanted to learn more about the design? Was it everything at once? How did you kind of get into this world? Yeah, it's a funny one, really, because um, I don't actually have any um, architecture training at all, even though I, I do teach, uh, although mainly history and theory um, of architecture as opposed to practical applications of architecture. Um, so my, yeah, my background is kind of coming from design and games journalism and literature and, and a lot of different places, really. Um, and I guess that it's more that space and architecture and built space have always been at the center of a lot of my work in different spaces. So, um, for example, a lot of my literature work, and I, I'm doing a PhD at the moment, um, practice-based PhD in experimental literature, and a lot of the work that I've done for that and the work I've written before has been focused on cities and spaces. And um, I wrote a novel that was about um, a group of people that uh, moved within the interconnected spaces of London that were hidden between buildings. So all of the kind of forgotten spaces, uh, the private corridors, the access ways. Um, and I wrote a novel about a group of people that existed only in those spaces um, that had been kind of outcast from society. So I think generally I, I find myself, whatever I do, I always come back to space and I always come back to urban space as being the kind of thematic frame. Um, for a lot of my work. So I think when I started writing about games, I just started being interested in writing about space. And um, as I kind of developed that work, I ended up starting, uh, I, was, well, I was invited to start a column on Kill Screen by uh, Chris Priestman, who's now the associate editor for Heterotopias, um, mm -hmm. who wor works with me on the zines. And he's, uh, he invited me to do a screenshot column because he saw that I was doing a lot of screenshot work. Uh, and I said, okay, I want to focus on uh, game spaces and architecture and I'll do a column and so I did some work on kill screen I did war photography in in the maps of battlefield one and uh, I did a investigation of the family home in uncharted 4 and just kind of started to pick up on spaces and then when uh, kill screen disappeared off the map uh, I switched up to doing it in my own publication keeping the same name heterotopias and and just kind of carried off from there and I've been incredibly enthused to see the response from people, really. Heterotopias was kind of the first issue was really just me trying to claim a space um, that I felt had been taken away with, from me when, when Kill Screen folded. Um, and I was just kind of annoyed uh, that uh, my writing always seemed to be owned by other people um, and so mm -hmm. didn't have a freedom of its own. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to start my own thing um, and then sent some emails. And then before I knew it, I was editing a zine. And then that zine took off in a way that I just didn't expect. It was kind of a hobby project, but it did really well. A lot of people picked it up. I uh, got interviewed on German national radio, of all things. <laughs> so then I thought, okay, well, I've got to keep doing this thing. And, and yeah, it's just developed from there, really. Right. Um, and so in addition to your, um, your, your written work and your photography, you are also making a game. Uh, <laughs> you, you can't just do three things at once, you know, you've got to do four. Um, so the game is called In Other Waters. It was just, I think, last month uh, reached its backing on Kickstarter. Uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, that's kind of a, a strange little project that's become a, a big strange project at this point. Um, which is, uh, it's a game where you play as the AI within the suit of a xenobiologist as they explore the ocean on an alien planet. And 
it's a, a kind of slightly unique game in the sense that it's played uh, entirely through uh, an interface that means that you never see the ocean, the creatures in it uh, directly, and you just have the sonar, the scans, um, all of the meters and systems that run within the suit, and the text that is being translated from the speech of the diver in the suit. And so the game's really about a couple of things, which is your relationship with that diver who's stranded um, on the planet and uh, some strange things are going on. They're discovering alien life for the first time. This is the first alien life that humanity's discovered in this ocean. Um, and they're exploring this this ocean under your kind of guidance and uh, your protection. And then at the same time, you're also seeing the ocean represented through all of these different uh, digital modes and and you're getting to study uh the creatures in it and engage with the science of it so it's it's also a game while a lot of these games are typically about kind of resource collection or uh planet colonies or uh, things like this this is really a game that's about um biological science in a sense that the um what you get to do is study the world rather than harvest it and, and that's kind of a really important part of the game for me I think one of the interesting things about it, at least coming from you, is that the game, the game's visuals are almost entirely abstracted. You know, you're seeing the world through sonar and depth maps and stuff, which means that a lot of the exploration that's in something like the Continuous City isn't really possible in this game. Uh, but how has, I'm sure that your work, you know, with Heterotopius has informed your design here and vice versa. Uh, is there kind of a uh, an intersection there? Do you think about spaces in the same way when you're working in this somewhat 2D environment? Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, it's definitely about spaces. It's about um, it's about you know the core thing that you do in the game is still a part, uh, is move through space. Um, it's just that it's an abstraction of space, and I guess that's what I'm really interested in. There is uh, how maps are able to. Um, in a way like evoke more than literal representation sometimes and so i i really wanted to make a game that engaged with rather than using the map functionally kind of engage with the map as an imaginative canvas um that when supported by text i i guess a, a lot of my literature work is informing what i'm doing with text in that game um and a lot of my kind of yeah, work with game spaces is informing what I'm doing spatially. So it is a kind of coming together a lot of a lot of things. I think heterotopias is on one end, kind of literature work on another, and, and this sits neatly in the middle for me. Um, mm-hmm. And then we were also talking about gaps a bit earlier, and, and I feel like games are very good at gaps. Um, we, don't, we don't necessarily always give them the credit they're due for um, getting us to fill in large portions of what they represent on ourselves. So um i'm guess i guess i'm really pushing that to um to its fullest here and one of the things that sits alongside the game is uh, actually a, a painted book of uh, studies of the creatures that are on the planet um but that you don't see in the game and so there is also this large gap that exists between the the book and the game um which will allow you to kind of look up some of the creatures in the game though not all of them um and some of the creatures in the book will also be unique um, and you'll be able to kind of look at images that are painted and then also see the representations in the game via the sonar. And I want people to kind of have a a, a kind of um, outside the game experience where they're kind of inventing things for themselves and engaging with it. And, and yeah, it's a, it was a bit of an experiment, but um, the responses were really good. And, and that's why I brought it to Kickstarter and people seem to be 
to get really behind it. It was really exciting to see people getting behind what is a kind of um, not really a genre piece and, and kind of sits on its own in a unique space. So it's that's been really, um, really exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Heterotopius, the um, the magazine, the book has, you know, it is it is a zine about architecture, specifically kind of these these created, you know, buildings, cities, towns. Uh, but can you see kind of a future where where you branch out into, you know, is there is there a future nature photography and games book? Is there, um, you know, other other topics? Are you really kind of focused on this idea of you know urbanization so i think uh, one of the really important things for me is actually that um, games are architecture even if those games only depict natural space mm-hmm. um, it's it's not this concept that um while i'm kind of interested in identifying architectural patterns that are in games it's not necessarily about pointing at a church in bloodborne and saying it's gothic um, it's more about looking at games as architecture because architecture by definition is built space and games are nothing but built space. They're, they're you know, even if that space is uh, is built to look like um, a forest or a river, it's still built. And uh, I find it also interesting in cases like No Man's Sky when that space is built by algorithms. Uh, it remains built, but it takes on an, another form. So um, that's something we're definitely exploring. And actually, uh, though um, I haven't announced the next issue yet i can tell you that the the theme of the next issue of heterotopias is landscape so excellent so we'll be taking that um that kind of approaching it head on i guess uh and looking at at how landscape uh is architectural in games and yeah that's that's something that i'm really excited about oh well that sounds great i look forward to it so it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today um i want to talk to the kane and rinse audience directly now and say please fund this book Please fund the continuous city because you get it, but more importantly, I get it, and I really want this book sitting on my coffee table. So um, I, I think if you look at the stuff that they've got on their Twitter, on the Heterotopius Twitter or Gareth's own, it is an absolutely fascinating exploration, and I want this to exist in the real world. Gareth, is there anything you would like to say to further sell your book or you know <laughs> plug what you're working on? No, I mean, I think you've played, I couldn't plug it better than you really, Jacob. I think that's, that's <laughs> it really. Um, no, I mean, I'm really, I'm, it's a project I'm genuinely really excited about. And um, I think the, the reach of this project, it's a partnership with the publisher Unbound, which means that uh, unlike the zine, which is, is all uh, done by me, um, it's actually going to be designed and uh, published and distributed by uh, what is now a major publisher. And I think that also makes it a, a, a bit of a, a landmark book potentially for game photography. So I'm also really excited about it having a wider reach and maybe getting to people um, who don't know those spaces and are seeing them for the first time through these strange analog photographs. I think that that could be really exciting. Absolutely. And it is it is a topic that I hope is explored more and more in the future as it becomes kind of part of the the language that we talk about games um well everyone thanks for listening gareth thanks so much for coming on to talk about the book um and i will hope to receive it soon yeah definitely